This is a test. For the next 60 seconds, this station will conduct a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. The following program is intended for mature audiences. Oh, you can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious! That ball was on the line! Shark flew up! Welcome to This Week in Tennis. Welcome to This Week in Tennis. That was Kansas. Let's play the game tonight. It is June the 7th, 2013, and this is This Week in Tennis. My name is Phil Nasons, and I am the host of this weekly radio program heard on Max Sports channels each and every day at 4 p.m. And currently, the I, Independent Radio LA or Independent Radio LA, the stream is down. But they'll be back up in a few weeks once they revamp and retool, and we'll be there too. But we want to welcome you to this show. My, as I said, my name is Phil Nasons, and I am the resident tennis professional at the beautiful Corfu Holiday Palace. I've been here for 11 years. And you folks who actually understand the sports industry and the tennis industry realize what a resident pro means. I live here. I benefit greatly by being here. It is a real job. Although it's a dream job, and very few people are lucky enough to have this, and I feel blessed and, more importantly, very lucky to work with people from all over the world. I worked with people this week, just this week, from Norway, from Finland, from Scotland, from England, just all over. I got some people coming in from New York next week, and it's a beautiful thing. And if you want to come to Corfu and stay at a five-star resort, 
live like a king like I do for a week, why, please send me an email and I will hook you up on the best tennis vacation you've ever had in your life. I guarantee it. Anyway, we've got a lot going on. It's The tennis tournament in France is winding down. And joining me to talk all about it is my good friend and your friend from Craig Doyle Photography. Please welcome Mr. Craig Doyle to This Week in Tennis. Craig, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, Phil. I'm glad to be back for the second week of Roland Garros and looking forward to discussing the events of the tournament with you tonight. Yeah, I had to get that stuff out about the, my tennis, dude, because people seem to think that I don't have a job. <laughs> yeah, I heard a little rumor earlier in the week that uh, you're now unemployed and working under a pseudonym. Yeah, how about that? My name's not really Phil Nasons. What, what kind of fugazis are these people? You know what? It, it is what it is. Why are you really in Greece? Well, I live like a king. No, you don't. You don't have a job. Law, law. Right, okay. You're right. I don't have a job. I have a career, and I've had one since before this person was in diapers, before his daddy forgot the condom that night. That's how long I've had this job or been in this profession, and I love every second of it. It is not a job, Craig. You know what? I love teaching tennis, and you know that. I enjoy it. That little that picture I put up on my Facebook with those two little kids, you know something? I had a hoot with them all week. A hoot. They didn't understand a word of English. I don't know anything about Norwegian speaking. <laughs> we had a blast, man. That's a challenge. I wonder if some of these Fugazis could actually teach someone something without being able to communicate verbally. Somehow I doubt it. But then when I read what they write verbally, I'm sure of it. <laughs> I'm sure they can't. But anyway, there's my shot against the boys. Shot across the bow. Anyway, Craig, without controversy, there's no such thing as a grand slam, it seems, these days. Rafael Nadal, and you uh, wrote an article, and you guys over there out there listening, CraigDoylePhotography.com is the place to be for, well, well-written tennis articles. Not that fluff you read. In a lot of places, but good stuff. Apparently, Rafael Nadal has taken issue with the scheduling at Roland Garros this season. What was that all about, Craig? Well, the gist of this one, Phil, is that the rain delays in the first week played a little bit of havoc with the schedules. Uh, Rafa was scheduled to play his third round match, I believe, against, in fact, it's his second round match against Martin Clizan third on the Philip Chatrier court, which is the main court at Roland Garros. However, he was unhappy with the fact that his opponent, who turned out to be Fabio Fognini for the third round, was actually playing second on one of the outside courts. Now, what happened is the rain came down, Fognini finished his game because his match, sorry, was after a women's match, which was a relatively quick match. But Nadal was scheduled to go on after a women's match and another men's match. So unfortunately, his bout was eventually pushed back to the next day. And he went on first the next day. Now, what Nadal came out with was basically that he thought that was unfair because it was giving Fognini a lot more time to rest. And then he went and pushed the issue a little further by saying that it didn't really matter if it rained or not. Fognini was still going to get a rest because he was playing earlier than Nadal. And that he felt that matches where the, the, the winners are going to meet in the next round should be scheduled at the same time. And of course, this being Rafa, he, he continued on. Um, he decided he was going to take on the doubles tour by saying that he felt that there's two weeks to this the tournament, they could schedule the doubles in in the second week. Um, I, I thought he had quite a good point there, actually, because there's not so many matches the second week. It's, there's a lot more juniors, etc. And then he went and took on the WTA tour, saying that, well, it doesn't matter if these girls play uh, the next day or not, because they do that all year round anyway, playing best of three sets. So they, they don't need a rest day. And basically, he was pretty irate at the fact that the scheduling for the men's tournament wasn't getting the attention he felt it deserved. And he, he also felt that um, the doubles guys, guys who play singles and doubles, were getting preference over him. 
And there was a lot of sort of self-interest, if you'd like to put it that way. Yeah, well, it is what it is. You know what? I wonder if the shoes were on the other foot and Nadal was playing first and Fognini was playing afterwards and Nadal was in the uh, trainer's room getting ice down or whatever, if he'd have said anything. Probably not. He's benefited from these same things. Now, while he makes good points because it's affected him, you know what? These guys never come out with anything until it actually affects them. How long has this kid been playing tennis, Craig? Uh, he's been around for, he must be coming up for eight, nine years now on the tour. And this issue has probably never cropped up? Oh, it certainly has cropped up before, but uh, this is the first of Nadal coming out and hi- highlighting it at a grand slam. Well, right, because it finally affected him. What does he carry? One anyway. What, he, he's worried about Fognini getting a little extra rest? You know, I get the fact that he doesn't like to play in the afternoons. Nobody does, especially in France, because there's no lights. People only like to play in the afternoons when there's lights. They play in the night matches, as you know, and those are fun. But unfortunately, the European folks out there don't like to play at night for whatever reason. Don't ask me why. I don't know. But this just seems a little dodgy to me. Why didn't he come up with this years ago? Because it affects him, you see. Makes me wonder if he's really as confident as he claims and he acts. But there are some merits to his argument, though, aren't there? There are some. There are certainly a few merits to his argument. You know, I think for the spectator perspective, if you move the doubles to the second week, it would certainly get a lot more interest from the spectator because there's not as much interest in the junior matches as there would be in the doubles. I think it would be a good selling point for the doubles. So he, he brings a good point there. And he does have another great point about the, the women's tour playing best of three set matches day after day at the the tournaments, you know, the sort of Rome and Madrid, Indian Wells, etc. So again, he's got a decent point there. But what Rafa seems to fail to understand is that Fognini's not a draw. Fognini doesn't sell tickets. He's not a name that people are coming in to watch. So his match can go on an outside court at almost any time. Uh, Whereas Rafael Nadal, he's the guy that sells tickets. People buy a ticket to come and watch guys like Rafael Nadal. So he's got to go on one of the two big courts. And there are only eight matches per day on the big courts. So at some point, Rafael Nadal has got to be scheduled in on one of these courts. Now, from my perspective... And you brought up a great point about the evening matches. They don't have them at Roland Garros. The last match at Roland Garros starts about, you know, 5 p.m. local time, 6 p.m. local time, something like that. And at at that point, that's usually the marquee match for the day. It's the match that's going to go out on TV to the biggest audience. You know, the people have finished their work in France. They've come home. They've turned on their TV. That's the match they're going to see. So that's a match that's pretty much going to be the one that features Rafael Nadal because they want people watch the, the, the TV companies that are paying the sponsorship. They want people watching Roland Garros on the TV. And, you know, when you're a top player, unfortunately, you're going to be scheduled in that slot to play because you're the guy that's making money for the sponsors. All great points. Exactly. He forgets that. You know what else he forgets? And here's, a, here's just a let me throw this out there. I think it'd be tough to play the doubles mainly in the second week, and here's why. Now, the first week of the major, how many outside tournaments are there where a guy that would actually be able to qualify for a Grand Slam would play and get some money from? Very few. But the second week, you'll find a lot more challengers. You'll find other opportunities for these guys to play. You can go and start playing the grass. And if these guys are stuck playing doubles the second week, they're going to lose one week for sure because they're not going to get anything by sitting around in France. And the second week, they're going to lose too because normally if you lose on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you've packed your bags and you're off and you go to the next place. See, Rafael Nadal doesn't have to worry about those things because he's a billionaire almost. See, that's the difference. You know, this is where they talk about, well, we want to take care of the little guy, but he really doesn't care about the little guy. He doesn't play doubles. He doesn't have a clue. He lives in his own little world. 
And he's a good kid, though, and he's made some great points, but he's basically biting the hand that's made him famous, playing on center court. And if you want to be famous, here's what you should do. Put Rafael, if Rafael Nadal wants to play at 11 o'clock in the morning, why? Put him out there on court 11 then. See how he likes that. I bet you he doesn't like that. More importantly, the TV cameras definitely won't like that. And more importantly, his sponsors won't like that. And then his accountant won't like that. And his business manager won't like that. And Uncle Tony won't like that. And ultimately, Rafael Nadal won't like that. I think that makes sense. Doesn't it? Yeah. Well, it certainly does. You know, it, it, it would be a lesson and a very hard one for uh, Rafael Nadal to learn. Um, unfortunately, it probably caused a riot at the Grand Slam with people trying to pitch a view for free of Rafael Nadal playing out on court 11. Um, I, I just think they need to sit him down. They need to explain the difficulties in scheduling to him and make him understand that you know, there's not a lot of choice where you put him. He, he's got to go on that main court. Um, if he doesn't go on that main court, then these guys who are losing in the first round, well, maybe they shouldn't get paid because the sponsor stops paying. These guys in the first round, they don't get paid. Um, Rafael Nadal spent a lot of time campaigning for them to get more money. So, you know, I, I think it's time, you know, Rafa maybe just takes it on the chin and accepts that, He's playing on the main court. He'll play when he's told to play. And just like everyone else, uh, he will play when he's told to play. I think that's, you know, closed book. There's nothing else to say about it. Well, now about the women. I think he's got a point there, too. But then again, what are you going to do? I mean, you want to put Maria Sharapova on court 12? You're going to put Serena on court 14? I mean, if you want to put all these people, uh, there's only one center court. There's only one stadium court. I mean, they have two show courts. That's it. Where are you going to put these people for the TV cameras? People don't come to see Fabio Fognini or well, even Anna Ivanovich, for that matter. They come to see the big stars. And they there's a reason they have stadium courts, to, to accommodate the crowds that those big stars draw. Otherwise, they wouldn't have them. I mean, it would make no sense. They'd put up more courts. But what do you do with the girls? Is he right about that? Let them play in the afternoons? But then how many people get to play on center court that day for the guys? Two? Him and who else? Roger? And everybody else is relegated outside the, outside the village? Doesn't, some, of, some of this doesn't make sense to me, Craig. Maybe I'm just half asleep here at 2.15 in the morning. No, it just doesn't make sense at all. It only serves the interest of uh, Nadal and, well, perhaps a men's tournament if they play first. And the other problem is, I, I don't know if you've been to the French Open or not, Phil. In fact, if you've turned on your TV set at any time, if you turn on your TV set to one of these matches in the first uh, week or so that starts at 11 a.m. in the morning, they ain't even half full on the stadium courts. You know, people don't turn up at this time of day. The corporate customers, they're not taking their seats. You know, they're busy uh, getting a few drinks inside, then they'll have a sit-down and have some lunch, and then they'll come out for the, the two later games later in the day where they'll sit down and watch, guess who? Rafael Nadal. So, you know, does he want to play to a half-empty stadium every morning? Do the uh, TV companies want to have Rafael Nadal on at 11 a.m. every morning playing to, you know, a few thousand people instead of 10, 12,000? Of course they don't. So, you know, is well, he's trying to apply some logic to his complaints. The, the logic just really doesn't hold up here. And, you know, Rafael Nadal is going to have to accept that there's 128 players in the men's draw, another 128 in the women's draw, plus all your doubles guys, etc., etc. All of these people have got to be scheduled in onto all these courts. And he's just going to have to accept that he plays where and when he's told to play just like everyone else. Yeah, and then he had a thing where they can see where the weather's going to be like. Okay. <laughs> and that doesn't mean they're not going to schedule matches. What are they supposed to do? Look at the uh, internet. Well, it's going to rain at 7 o'clock. We better not can't schedule Rafa in there. Come on. You know, it rained hard here two days in a row. But on the internet, it said it wouldn't. 
You know, that's just the way it is. Weather is unpredictable. Okay, they have tools that can help them. But still in all, you have to still schedule these matches. And the other thing he forgets back to the doubles thing for the guys, a lot of those guys also play mixed doubles too. Rafa doesn't do those things. Rafa lives in his own world, and he probably should uh, worry about some other issues, like winning the French Open. And he does make some good points, but he can't back them up logically. What do you do? You don't do anything. You leave it be. You think they're going to actually change the way they schedule because he complained? These guys, You know what? These guys complain about everything. It's, there's always an excuse. They're always pointing at something. You know, they shifted around the U.S. Open to the point where they destroyed Super Saturday. That was one of the biggest days in tennis, in sport. It was awesome. I mean, I grew up watching that. I used to love Super Saturday. It was basically nine straight hours of tennis. That's what it was, and now they've destroyed that. I mean, when are they going to get it? That the fans drive the show, and they're the show. And then guess what? In another few years, it'll be a new Rafael Nadal. It'll be a new Roger Federer. And people will be coming to see them and forget all about these other guys, except when they wave their arms or do an exhibition. I mean, it's unbelievable. But I think he's right about some things, but mainly, no. He's just looking out for his best interest. He needs to rest a couple. He needs that rest. And to be honest with you, he could probably beat Fognini right after winning that sheet was arraigned out in. Perhaps what he should have done is won the first set and then he wouldn't have had to worry about it. What do you think about that? <laughs> I think we can go on all night talking about Rafael Nadal and his uh, complaints here, but you know, at the end of the day, it's tennis. Uh, and these guys who run this Roland Garros tournament, they've got many, many years experience of organizing this event that they plan for every year and scheduling these matches in every single day. Um, they, you know, as you said, they cannot control the weather, but they have contingency plans in place. They do the best they can. And unfortunately, if that's not good enough for Rafa, it's going to be Rafa that's got to deal with it. Yeah, we almost burned up the entire first segment talking about this issue. <laughs> Unbelievable, huh? That's, you know, passion for the game for you, I suppose. Yeah, well, it is what it is. Um, anything interesting happen? We've got about five minutes before we have to take a break, and then we'll uh, get into all these other things. Anything really interesting stand out? To me, this entire tournament was quite boring, actually. The, outside of the little stuff like this that we just talked about, really has been pretty much uneventful, hasn't it been? Yeah, there's not been a, a lot happened. In fact... Just as you say that, I had actually looked back at uh, my predictions because I've been doing a, a daily prediction feature on my uh, website, um, picking the winners of each match. And uh, I just had a look at the women's tournament. And I've not had a pick wrong since day seven, which was uh, the end of the fourth round. That was the last time I got one of these women's matches wrong. Um, since since the quarterfinal stage, I've uh, you know picked a winner of every match, and to be honest, I don't even think it's a, that a great achievement because it's been that predictable. You had Sango over Federer. Uh women's draw. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. I, I, the men's draw. Okay, congratulations. This is what we're talking about here. You win money here at this show. You win money over at Craig's site. You should go over there and check it out. Yeah, the, to me, not much stood out. Even Federer losing to Sanga, that didn't really surprise me too much. We we kind of hinted around at that last week. Tommy Haas was... We did, in fact. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, just as you touch on Sanga and uh, Federer, I, I don't want to promote myself again, but uh, the French media really took off on that one. And uh, I've got another article on the site. I think it's the first one that pops up at the moment that really focuses on the outcome of that match and the conclusions we saw from it. Um, we're probably not going to talk about that this week on the show, but uh, if anyone wants to see my thoughts on uh, Joe Wilfred Songa and uh, Roger Federer, then you know there's an article there about that on my side as well. well. You should promote yourself. You do good work. We promote you all the time here. You know me. I do. I promote you everywhere. On my daily show, everywhere. You do good work. 
You've picked some good. You've came out and done some good picking this week, my friend. Good picking. But uh, Tommy Haas, that was pretty good too. You know, people wrote to me and said, "Man, you guys really hit that one on the nail on the head." He really came out and took care of business, didn't he? Yeah, he did. I think it's uh, a great fortnight, a great tournament for Tommy. He's never been that far at the French Open before. Um, he's probably never got that far again because, you know, he's getting on a bit in terms of his uh, number of years he's been playing the game and the, the age on the old legs, etc. So, yeah, I think it's been a great week for Tommy. He got a good jaw, a jaw that allowed him to go deeper into the tournament. He had some fantastic moments out there. Um, the victory over, uh, was it John Isner back in the, the third the third round, I think it was, uh, that went five sets. Uh, you know, th- that's special for Tommy, and I, I I think we did really well to pick that one out. I think so, too. You know, I, I, I like Tommy. He did a good job. See, what other... Well, you know what we'll do, Craig? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. And when we return, we're going to take a look at what we thought about the men's and the women's side of things this past fortnight, or this past week, I should say. And what we'll do is we'll make our predictions for this weekend. And we'll be right back. You're listening to This Week in Tennis on Max Sports Channels. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we come together. Cool. And I think it's cool. I'd rather see someone do that than put something on that's, well, just crap. It's all about tonight. Bill Nason. Some of the things that these people say. Tom Donahue. There is no nonsense here. This isn't knucklehead theater. Jimmy Z. That is such twisted logic. Alex Jones. You heard it here first. Now it's mainstream news. Yeah, tomorrow can wait till tomorrow. Ah, it's a lot of fun. I said tomorrow can wait till tomorrow. It's all about tonight. And we'll have fun, I promise. Weeknights, starting at 10 Eastern, on the Talk Superstation. Stitcher Smart Radio is an award-winning, free, mobile application that lets you listen to your favorite shows and discover the best of news, entertainment, and sports on demand. Now you don't even need a Wi-Fi or a cell connection to listen to shows like The Phil Nation Show. Never miss another show. It's real simple. Just go to Stitcher.com and download the free app today. And never miss another Phil Nation. Are you tired of boring sports websites that's about the same old company line? If you are, then I'd invite you to stop over to thesportsgoons.com. The Reggie Commentary and a weekly podcast highlighting today's issues is second to none. That's thesportsgoons.com. The new media has arrived. Looking for the latest information on your favorite sports team? Why not check out 15-year-old founder Trevor Urenz, ProSportsExtra.com. Updated daily by a staff of over 30 writers, ProSportsExtra.com is the place to be. You can check them out, and I insist that you do, at ProSportsExtra.com. For you, the listeners of This Week in Tennis, Audible.com is offering you a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I'd personally like to recommend Tim Galloway's book, The Inner Game of Tennis. And you can get this book or any other of over 100,000 titles, all for free, Simply by trying audible.com. To download your free audiobook today, please go to audibletrial.com slash flash tennis. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash flash tennis and get your free audiobook. If you're moving to the Atlanta area or simply looking to buy that new dream home, we'll look no further than to real estate agent Latrissa Fryson. Latrissa has over 10 years in real estate experience, and she's anxious to put you in your brand new home. For more information, you can contact Latrissa at latrissa.com. That's L-E-T-R-I-S-S-A.com. Hi, this is Phil Nasons from This Week in Tennis. 
and The Phil Nason Show, Max Sports Channels offers the best in sports talk radio, as well as great music 24 hours a day. It's my daily destination, and I hope it's yours. The sports talk begins each and every day at 3 p.m. and ends around 9 p.m. Special programming on the weekends. And in between all that, the hottest music on the internet. That's Max Sports Channels. Make it your daily destination. Welcome back to This Week in Tennis. It is June 7th, 2013. I'm Phil Nasons, and joining me once again is Craig Doyle from CraigDoylePhotography.com. And we're talking a little tennis here. French Open tennis. We've gotten our ranting out of the way, or I did, I think. And uh, now we're into tennis again. And you all love it, don't you? You all love it. But then, Craig, remember, I'm rude, and I don't have any respect for anyone. So I guess I'm just living up to uh, their expectations. Yeah, exactly. You're the rude fella without a job, and you know you post <laughs> under a different name, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's what the, that's what they have to hit. And nobody listens to your show. Nobody, eh? Because that's why I have two shows in the top 100 on iTunes. Two of them, two of them on my own without a network behind me, except the great network Max Sports Channels, of course. But that has nothing to do with iTunes. But anyway, yeah, well, it's all funny. I'll tell you who's been funny this week is Novak Djokovic. He's having himself a career. He's just kicking everybody's rump, isn't he? Yeah, he's not had too many difficulties, has he? I was actually impressed with the way he dealt with um, Grigor Dimitrov last week. Just after we finished the show, he went out to Djokovic. This is a guy that beat him in Madrid. He just had no problems at all. In fact, at one point, the Susan Langlong crowd I could have sworn they were booing Dimitrov because they really expected this one to be a bit of a contest. And it wasn't. In fact, the only challenge Djokovic has had was the fact that he lost a set to Philip Schreiber in the quarterfinals, but he picked himself up quite well from that. And he won in four sets, went on. Um, so that may have been the fourth round, actually. He went on the quarterfinals to take on Tommy Haas, and it was another straight sets win for, for Djokovic. So uh, he, he's been playing very, very good tennis this week, but, you know, the big challenge for Novak Djokovic is still to come. You know, that Dimitrov-Djokovic match just reminds me of something, Craig. It's time for Flash to go on another rant. I, when that match came up, I saw on Facebook someone said, are the tennis TV or tennis channel commentators high saying that Dimitrov has a chance? No, what they should do is here's what they should do according to these stupid people on Facebook. Here's what they should do. Just get up there before the match. Don't even bother watching this match because Novak Djokovic is going to kill Dimitrov. And then their ratings go down and they lose their jobs. That's their job, you morons. <laughs> God. Their job is to create excitement even when it's not exciting. That's why they, they do things on TV, other folks do things on radio, and the rest of you fugazis who write this rubbish do it on Facebook anonymously. And they're actually anonymous. Okay, rant over. Anyway, uh, Dimitrov, if they'd listened to this show, Craig, they would know. You said it right off the bat. Do you remember the first thing you said last week or at the preview? If any of you think Gregor Dimitrov is going to win the French Open, or if you think you can make any money on him, forget it. Good call, because it's just the way it is. You know, people get pretty excited when someone wins Madrid or whatever. God bless that kid. But there's a big difference, and Djokovic just hammered him. Cole Schreiber, that was a good match. Uh, down here at the bottom half of this draw, Rafael Nadal, outside of his uh, desire to be a tournament director, he seemed to have skated through. But the match that pissed him off and got him all fired up was the Benoit Paris match, right? Yeah, yeah, that was... Um... Was it? No, I'm sorry. It was uh, Clizan. Clizan took a set off him and he cried about it. Yes, yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, another guy that we featured on the show not so long ago was Martin Clizan. Um, yeah, it caused a little bit of controversy. That's what fired the whole 
Nadal was scheduling the bait up, but um, he'd already lost a set in the first round to Daniel Brands. Um, by this point, you know, losing a set in two consecutive matches in his first two matches had the media whipped up in a frenzy that Rafael Nadal was rubbish. He was going to get eliminated in the first week. He wasn't playing well enough, etc., etc. No chance of winning the tournament. And, you know, we get to Friday of the second week, semifinals, and look who's playing in the semifinals today. And there you go. Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal. We're gonna, I'm going to make sure, well, I hope I can do this. I have to go out to my job that I don't have after I do my baseball show. That ought to be fun. But I'm going to get this up beforehand. Novak Djokovic takes on Rafael Nadal in the semi, the first semifinal. That's no surprise that those two are in there. We told you that was going to happen, and that was obvious. Even a blind squirrel can figure that one out. Even silly little... Facebook Fugazis can figure that out. But who's going to win this one, Craig? Yeah, I got asked this question earlier this evening by a young lady from down the south of England. She was uh, nervously looking for uh, an answer, whether she was putting on a bet or she was just hoping that I was going to confirm that uh, her favorite player was going to win. But I think, and I'm going to stick my neck out on this one, I, I'm going for Rafael Nadal. Stick your neck out. That was a pretty good stick. I think you're right. He's really cracking him now. He's getting his rest, apparently. So, and he's happy. Djokovic is Djokovic. I, I don't see Djokovic beating Nadal on clay. And here's the thing, too. Let's go back to, to the late fall, early winter of 2012. And all that mockery Novak Djokovic displayed in an exhibition where he was mocking Rafael Nadal. Nadal's been chomping at the bit to just kick this kid's ass, I'm sure. <laughs> He's not going to let this guy go, especially in his own house. Yeah, let's take Rafael Nadal in this one, folks. I don't see Djokovic having a whole lot happening here. I, I don't even think it's going to be four sets. I think it might even be straight sets, to be honest with you. And it's not because I don't like Novak Djokovic or that I don't think he's playing well, because he is. But this is Rafael Nadal, a whole nother player. The bottom half of the draw, Robredo did really good this week, this tournament actually. You made a great call on that one. David Ferrer, your favorite player, is doing really good. But the story of the tennis tournament thus far is Joe Willifried Sanga. What do you like about this match between David Ferrer and Joe Willifried Sanga, Craig? I like the fact that the... Uh... French people have suddenly got very, very passionate about this. You know, they tend to suddenly appear in numbers when one of their French guys starts doing really, really well. And all of a sudden, Joe Wilfred Song has got millions more fans than he did a few days ago. However, <laughs> however. I was waiting for the however. David Ferrer has a winning record against Joe Wilfred Songer. And this match is on clay. And I just, looking back at the last two weeks, Ferrer's beaten everyone in straight sets. Not only has he beaten everyone in straight sets, I, I've watched a few of these matches. He absolutely destroyed Robredo. He took Anderson to bits. Um, Anderson was at the point where he was going to start throwing rackets. Um, he went straight through Lopez and Montanez. And if you just look at some of the guys that Pharrell's playing, they're clay quarters. They're guys who are going to give him, who, who should be able to give him a little difficulty on the clay. He's not had any problems at all. He's just wiped the floor with all these guys. You look at some of the scores there. You've got 2-1-3, and 3-1-1, 2-1-1. He's beating people without even breaking a sweat almost. And I just see this match against Songa. I looked at this. The serve stats on the Songa Federer match: seventy-five percent first serves for Songa in, eighty percent completion uh, success completion on first serve points. That's big numbers. That's numbers that are difficult to replicate. And you know I, the way Ferrer plays, the way he runs the ball down and he chops it back in the play, and I could just see him 
outlasting, outlasting Songa, just uh, staying in the point and forcing Big Joe to try and play that big forehand one too many times. And I don't think Songa's going to have the same sort of consistency on the forehand and the backhand that he had against Federer. You're not going to see those sort of errors from Ferrer that you saw from Federer because Ferrer doesn't play for winners. He just plays to put the ball near the baseline, make it difficult for you. I just, I really like Ferrer here. He's, uh, as you said, my new favorite player. Yeah, you make a lot of good points. I remember, well, I guess it was almost 30 years ago when there was a young fella. His name was, or is, uh, Yannick Noah. And uh, a lot of people didn't give him a lot of uh, hope either. But he came through. The crowd got behind him. And it will be a pro crowd for Joe Willifried. And uh, I'll tell you what, even though he's played, you know, you've mentioned the fact that he has had some fantastic statistics. Can he replicate them? Well, if he, if he can, he'll beat David Ferrer. That being said, David Ferrer is playing like a man possessed this entire season. And now that he's your new favorite player, I, I'm happy that he's your new favorite player. Because I've always liked David Ferrer. But not on Friday. I have this funny feeling that Joe Willifried Sanga is going to finally find that heart and it'll match his talents. And all the hopes that they have for him and all the expectations. And he's going to find himself in the finals and he will be facing Rafael Nadal. That's my pick. That's certainly an interesting choice, but the next question, and this time I'll ask a question, will it matter if he gets to the final or not? Because I just don't see him winning, even if he does get to the final. Well, no, I don't think he's going to win. But I think I I have this funny feeling that David Ferrer is going to hit a wall. That's what I have this feeling about, that he's going to hit a wall. And uh, if he does, Sanka can take advantage of it. No, no one's beaten. Rafael Nadal's going to win this tennis tournament. That's the pick at the beginning of the thing, and that's the pick I'm staying with. Um, But no, I don't think he can uh, defeat uh, Rafael Nadal. But does it matter? He'll at least get into the finals. Well, it's a good point you raised there because, you know, when Andy Murray was chomping at the bit, he was reaching these Grand Slam finals and wasn't winning. There was a lot of media coverage over here about how close he was getting, but he still wasn't a winner. He didn't have it in him to win the big one. This will be Joe's second Grand Slam final, assuming he beats David Ferrer. And you just, you know, you wonder what sort of negativity is going to come out of the French press if he reaches this final and loses. Um, it could be very interesting to see where Songa goes to after this tournament. Should he get to this final and not win the trophy, it, it would be very, very interesting to see what the French press write, how the French public react, and then how Songa responds in the grass court season. Well, he, they'll crucify him. They'll say the same things about him. That it depends on how he loses. If he loses like a warrior in five sets, they'll probably give him a break. But if he gets blown out, and that's a very good possibility, by the way, then they're going to hammer his ass. And rightly so. They're going to say, he's got no heart, he's spoiled, he's pampered. It's the same things they always say. They're not willing to die out there on the court, and that's what you have to do. It's the same same old, same old, just like they do in England. It's the same thing. Let's hope not for his sake, because they're going to crucify him. If he gets blown out, they're going to crucify him. And me, I can take your crucifixion. I've been crucified by better people than some of the folks who write into this show, believe me. Anyway, let's move on to the women's side. Not much. This was not that interesting, really. It really wasn't. Um, Outside of Sari Irani... um, it hasn't been that interesting, has it? No, not really. As I said, we sort of were on top of the predictions quite early on. And uh, 
we knew what was going to happen pretty much from around about the quarterfinal stage. Perhaps even before then, fourth round stage, we had a pretty good idea what was going to happen. Um, let's just scroll down and, you know, I would draw attention perhaps to Yelena Jankovic, who's had a good couple of weeks. Jamie Hampton, who actually lost to Jankovic, but, you know, she had a very, very good um, week or two there. In the early rounds, we had a, a little bit of success. Um, for the American players, actually, Bethany Metic Sands did quite well. Varvara Lepchenko got through a few rounds. Sloane Stevens got through a few rounds. But as the tournament sort of grew on, the Americans kind of struggled a little bit against the Europeans, who I guess you could say had a little bit more familiarity with the surface. But in terms of outright shocks, we didn't have too many. Uh, you know, for the French, they had a young girl called, um, I think it's Caroline Garcia. She met Serena Williams in the second round and she took a thumping, but it was a bit of a success story just to get through that first round. But other than that, nobody really stood out as producing a major shock getting to the latter stages that we didn't expect to get there. Not really, no. And you know what? Uh, Maria Sharapova has played really well. Okay, she loses. She's lost the first set in her last two matches, one to Jankovic and one to Azarenka. But, or I'm sorry, against Azarenka, she lost the second set. But Sharapova's made a lot of big points in this ma- in this tournament. She's really looking good. And Serena's just, well, good Lord. It ain't even nice what she's done to these girls. Is it? Really? Okay, she lost a set to Kunetseva, and that's expected. Kunetseva can still hit the ball a little bit, and she can get her done at some point, and at some points. But what Serena did to Sarah Arani was in the semis was almost criminal. I wanted to call a cop. Yeah, that I was, was a B. I was watching uh, yesterday, and it was... It was really, really strange to watch because Irani is usually full of energy. She's getting that ball back into play, but there was one point where Serena served it at around about 126 miles per hour. It went straight at Irani. She went to get a racket on it, and the ball just bounced off the racket and went right through it. It was uh, a staggering display of power from Williams. And I would actually just like to draw attention to that at the moment, that this women's tour really only has three players on it at the moment. There's Williams, who I feel is a cut above the other two. But there's also Azarenka and Sharapova, who were in the bottom half of the draw. And what all three of these players have, along with consistency and the ability to move a bit around the court, that every single one of these other girls doesn't have, is they just have this phenomenal power when striking the ball. They're able to generate so much pace on the serve, on the forehands, the backhands, that they could pretty much hit these girls off the court just through sheer power. And for me, we really are down just to the three girls on the tour at the minute until someone else comes along and displays the sort of power and movement that these girls have. It's it's going to be a three-horse race at most of the Grand Slams. Yeah, you make a great point about the power, but Craig, shush. Because tomorrow morning or on Saturday morning, there'll be a blog post on somebody's blog saying, accusing these girls of juicing because they're so much more powerful with their strokes than the rest of the field. <laughs> Jeez. Anyway, you're right. They crack the ball, don't they? they but here's the thing. They do the little things well to, to get to that point. They do have great footwork. They have great stroke rotation. They see the ball so much earlier than their opponents. And, of course, they're playing with a confidence that very few people in the world can play with. That's another important thing to remember, how much confidence they play with. That's why you see them in the finals or being talked about in the second week of Grand Slams. Sarah Irani, though, 
Okay, she might not be the most powerful girl out there, but God bless her. She's hanging in there. She's all right. Anyway, we've got a Serena Williams, Maria Sharapova final. Who do you like, Craig? Oh, I think it's impossible to change my earlier prediction, and I'm going to stick with Williams. And, you know, the reason for that's obvious, a 13-2 head-to-head scoreline over their careers. That dates all the way back to 2004. And the last time Sharapova won was, oh, 2004. So we've had, I believe, 12 Serena Williams victories in a row. She just seems to be able to deal with Sharapova and everything that she's got. She can get that big serve back. She hits the ball harder than Sharapova hits it. Now, I think, to be honest, it shows you that the power that Sharapova can get on the ball is pretty much her main weapon. And when that's taken away from her by a player who's more powerful, she doesn't have too much else to fall back on. Uh, most of these sort of recent games, they've all been pretty comprehensively won by Serena. They've met three times this year already. Uh, Sharapova got the first set, I think, in Miami, but the, the last meeting in Madrid was uh, one and four in favor of Williams, and it, it was just a display of power that uh, was overwhelming for Sharapova. And I just feel that same, same type of surface, Serena in the form that she played against Arani yesterday, it's probably going to be very, very one-sided. I think so, too. I think it's going to be very one-sided as well. You know, their history together is dictates it, really. More importantly, look how they're playing today. And if Sharapova has any type of lapse, like she has had this tournament a couple times and played a couple loose sets... She's got no shot. This thing's straight sets. Serena Williams is your champion. We talked about this before. Craig, I tell you what, great stuff tonight. Thank you for thank you so much for being a part of it. It's my pleasure to be here. All right, and that's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of This Week in Tennis. Until next week, y'all be good, and most importantly, enjoy the tennis.